Hey everybody, welcome to the Single Tracks Podcast. My name is Jeff, and today Aaron and Greg and I are going to be talking about social etiquette for mountain bikers. So there are any number of coaches and videos out there to help us learn bike handling and wrench skills and things like that, but soft skills, as we're calling them, are just as important for mountain biking. You had a good quote about that, right, Aaron? Maybe not exactly a quote, but a rule from Mike McCormick, who is the founder of the six-day Breck Epic Stage Race in Breckenridge, Colorado, and he does a variety of other things as well. Anyways, there are three rules for his race, which is a surprisingly small number of rules for anything, <laughs> but particularly bike racing. And the first one is don't be a dick. Uh, so if there's one guiding principle in this whole discussion and just in mountain biking and probably life in general that should be it. Don't be a dick. And as the race website says, that really covers a lot of ground. Yeah, definitely. And yet it's such a simple rule, but there's still a lot of situations where maybe people don't know exactly what to do or how to not be a dick. So we're going to cover some of those situations and try to share what we've learned over the years uh, in all of our collective wisdom. So the first rule, one of the first rules that a lot of mountain bikers encounter is the rule about yielding the trail. How do we yield to other trail users? What's the thinking behind that? How does that work? Basically, yielding to other trail users is going to limit conflicts on the trail. And typically, mountain bikers are supposed to yield to all other trail users. That could be hikers, that could be equestrians, a.k.a. horses could even be motos in some instances. You need to be especially careful around horses. Spooking a horse can get the rider or you hurt. don't know if you've ever seen a horse up close, but they're huge and they'll stomp on you or kick you in the face. So don't mess with horses. For instance, when I encounter a horse on the trail, I come to a complete stop and then I ask for guidance from the riders because sometimes horses are cool with bikes. They don't mind you getting really close to them. Other times, Horses aren't really sure what you are because you look weird. You kind of look like a person, but you're also riding this weird thing and you have a helmet and you're probably dressed in some neon clothing. So some horses may not like you being so close to them. So like I said, I ask for guidance and let them tell me whether it's cool if I ride by or if they want to ride by me or whatever. But let them you know, just communicate with them and see what the best way through the situation is. And remember the guiding principle that we talked about at the beginning of the episode just a moment ago. Don't be a dick. There is one exception to this, and that would be on a dedicated bike-only trail system. We've got a few of these around Atlanta, and the rules make it clear that hikers and joggers are going to yield to riders instead, but the norm is the other way around. Some other trail systems across the nation are also beginning to change the standard yield signs. One good example is Sedona, Arizona, where many of the yield signs have been replaced with equal signs, meaning that hikers and bikers, horses aren't allowed on most of these trails, have equal right to use the trails. This basically acknowledges that on some very steep rock rolls and technical descents, it might be dangerous or impossible for a mountain biker to yield to a hiker, meaning the hiker needs to get out of the way. But... You know, this definitely isn't the default yet across the nation, but the point is take a look at the signs as you enter the trail and maybe you'll learn something or learn a little tidbit about the best etiquette to use on that specific trail. 
Yeah. So another situation where you might not be sure who yields to who is when you're encountering another mountain biker, specifically someone who's coming from the opposite direction as you. And fortunately, there's sort of a unspoken rule or maybe I'm sure it is codified somewhere, uh, but there is a rule for that. Right, Greg? So the technical rule, it's codified somewhere. I'm not quite sure. Uh, but the general rule for pretty much everything is the downhill rider should always yield to the uphill rider. And I mean, this is the same thing and like off-roading and, you know, motorsports. Um, but generally the downhill yields to the uphill. So, you know, as a result of that, I always try to yield when I'm descending. But honestly, I always thought this rule was a bit strange. So yes, it's easier for the descender to get started than the climber. But if I'm climbing, I could often use a few seconds of catching my breath to let the downhill rider pass. And if I'm going downhill, I prefer not to have my flow jammed up so I can reap the reward of all that hard work I just put in. So I kind of disagree with this one. But then the upshot of that is I end up yielding to everyone. So maybe maybe I'm losing out here. Yeah, well... With all of these two, I feel like there's a lot of judgment involved and the best course of action is always to make eye contact with the other person and, um, you know, have a conversation if possible to, you know, let them know your intentions and for you to understand their intentions. Again, to be, you know, empathetic, imagine yourself as a hiker, you know, would you feel comfortable getting out of the way of a biker or, you know, vice versa if you're, uh, climbing a hill and you can put yourself in the shoes of someone who's coming down and say, you know what, I'm going to let that guy go. You know, that's fine to do too. You don't have to follow the rules. Just use your judgment. Yeah. Communication there again goes a long way and just being friendly in general. Yeah. Like a good example of this is if you have like a sort of a slight rise or a slight descent, like you might not really know who's the climber or who's the descender, you know? So just uh, say hi and you'll know, wave and be nice to each other. Also, you know, a lot of times yielding doesn't necessarily mean you have to come to a full stop and get off your bike and move off the trail or anything like that. In fact, you should try to stay on the trail as much as possible so you don't add to trail widening and erosion and those sorts of things. But a lot of times you can safely pass one another if one rider's going uphill and the other one's coming down just by each rider moving to the edge of the trail. And if you're the, if you're descending and you slow down to a reasonable speed, there shouldn't really be any conflict. So yielding doesn't always mean coming to a complete stop in case that was a point of confusion for anyone. It just means being safe. Yes. Okay. So what about passing on single track? This seems to be a question a lot of people have as well. So if you're riding and you come up on someone who's riding a little bit slower than you, is it okay to pass them? And if so, how do you do it? Again, the key here is just to be friendly, say hi, and have a little conversation with the person that you're about to pass. So if I'm just out on my average a weekend ride, there's a bunch of trail traffic. If I come up behind somebody, I'll generally, instead of even calling out for a pass, I'll just yell out and say like hi or hello and that basically just lets them know I'm like a few feet back there depending on how fast I'm coming and like 90% of the time person just moves over then you know and then you just say hey and continue on your way so if you don't move over you know that's when things can get a bit interesting so at that point I'm usually like hey can I get by you when you have a chance and generally that works 
um, another 90% of the time. But sometimes, I guess people don't think they have a chance or they're being a dick out on the trail, uh, in which case, you know, then it gets a little more complicated if they're not actually going to yield to you and you're just hanging out behind them. And uh, at that point, that's when I sort of move into more of a race style pass and I holler out for an on your left or on your right pass and just sort of shoulder my way by. But on the flip side, somebody comes up behind me and they don't say anything, which is always a bit annoying. I generally try to call back asking if they want to pass, be like, hey, do you want to come by me? And if they say yes, then I find a spot to pull over and let them safely go by. Uh, and that's sort of a good point. If someone is passing you, I mean, you want to move over, but don't feel like you have to jam on your brakes and go careening off the trail, like crashing into a ditch. Like I've seen people do that before. I mean, just take the time you need to slow down, find a safe place to pull over. Or as Aaron mentioned earlier, like if the trail's semi-wide, lots of times you can just sort of slide over a little bit. The other dude can slide past and everybody's uh, going their way and having a good time. So um, that's generally the easiest way to go about it. Aaron, is it a different situation if you're in a race? Is the, the same rules apply or can you get a little bit more aggressive? The same basic rules apply. Again, don't be a jerk out there. And just, just know that passing is part of racing. Unless you're faster than everyone and you're winning every single race, you're going to get passed. Someone's going to pass you. Sometimes it could be a woman that's <laughs> faster than you, you know, and you're a guy and that hurts your ego. And if it does, then maybe you shouldn't be racing. Um, <laughs> maybe you should stick to riding by yourself or go home and train and get faster. And then, you know, you won't have to worry about people passing you. But in general, the, the same things that Greg said apply. When, when I'm passing someone, I like to announce my presence, you know, with a, with a rider back. And that just gives the person in front of you a heads up that you're there. You know, make sure it's loud enough that they can hear it, but you don't really want to startle them. Again, you don't want them to go careening off the trail. If they don't move over immediately, I do the same thing that Greg does. I just say, hey, can I get around whenever it's safe? And I, and I personally, Greg said he'll call the side, but I personally like to let the passy choose which side they want to get passed on. Because I find sometimes if you say on your left, people will look over their left shoulder, which causes them to veer left. And same thing if you say on your right, they look over their right shoulder and then they veer right and then they're in your line. So I just like to let them pick the side and, and they'll move over to whichever side they're more comfortable on. Cause some, some people don't want to be, you know, if you're on a bench cut trail, they don't want to be on the, downhill side of that obviously they'd rather be on the uphill side so in case you did knock bars or something they're not going to go tumbling down the hill so yeah that's my advice for passing and when you're getting past if a rider approaches you in a race get out of the way i try to be friendly out there as well when i'm racing but it's a race everyone's paid their money and everyone's out there for a different reason sometimes people are there just to have fun sometimes people are out there trying to beat their time or they're trying to beat their buddies or whatever, but it's a race. So you need to be considerate of that. And if someone catches you, they are faster than you. That's why they've caught you. That's how it works. But can't you be competitive? Can't you be like, no, I'm not letting you buy because then you're going to pass me. Like car racing, they don't just, you know, let people buy, right? They well, do some moves to try to keep people behind them. And yeah. you Okay. So yeah, if you're duking it out the front of the race and you, you're in the same category as the person in front of you and is getting towards the end of the race. Yeah. Like by all means, don't let someone buy. But if someone catches you on the trail and it's early in the day or whatever, it, they're faster than you. There's a reason for it. You know, <laughs> I run into this a lot because I'm 
generally faster going down than I am going up. So there are certain people that I'll yo-yo with, you know, I'll pass them on the descents and then they pass me on the climb and go back and forth like that all day long. But just, you know, just get out of each other's way. Like there's nothing more frustrating than catching someone, you say rider back, and instead of trying to move over, they speed up and then they're generally riding outside their comfort zone at that point. And so they're starting to pick shitty lines and, and, you know, just getting really squirrely and that's not safe for them. It's not safe for you. If they crash in front of you, they could cause you to crash. So try to stay ahead if you want, but you know what? I caught you. So uh, eventually I'm going to get around one way or the other. And the longer I have to wait, the less friendly I'm going to be about it. Yeah. You mentioned being friendly. I think something we should mention too, is if someone does let you pass, say thanks and that'll go a long way toward being a courteous trail user. Absolutely. Yeah, I'd like to I forgot to mention that, but I do say thanks and you know have a good race and generally speaking, like like Greg said, most of your interactions are going to be positive and you're going to get around someone quickly, but every once in a while you just get people that just don't want to get out of the way for whatever reason, whether it's they they think they're faster or they don't feel comfortable moving over, they feel that the trail's too narrow. At that point, you just need to stop your bike completely and move out of the way if it's a race situation. Because again, people pay a lot of money to race and they have a lot of time invested leading up to the race and in training and supplements and coaches and whatever else. So just keep that in mind. Be empathetic on both sides. Empathy doesn't go just one way. Exactly. Okay, for the next thing we're going to talk about uh, is also another group situation, sharing the trail with others. Uh, we're going to talk about the group ride. So one of the, I have a military background, so one of the rules that I always keep in mind is never leave anyone behind. And part of that is, you know, there's there's a couple of things. First, you want to get a count of everybody that you're riding with and make sure that nobody's getting lost. And a good way to do that is... Uh, is to wait for people at every single intersection. And this is something that anybody can do. You don't have to be the leader of the group ride or anything. This is every rider in that group needs to be looking out for the other people in the group. So to be courteous, again, if you come up to an intersection and you know which way to go, you stop there and wait for the person behind you, tell them which way to go, and then they'll wait for the person behind them and it'll go down the line and nobody will get left behind. Hopefully. It's like a game of telephone though, you know, you never it know is. where it could end Well, up. it can, right, exactly. And all it takes is one person, <laughs> one person not following the rule. And again, that's why we're talking about this. This is a soft skill that you need to learn and to remember every time. I understand it too, because if you're feeling like you're about to be left behind, um, you're trying to catch the guy in front of you and make sure that you're with the group. Uh, but then you're really screwing the people behind you by doing that. So Again, slow it down, think about other people, not just yourself, uh, and, and it'll work out. Yeah, we actually did a whole podcast on group rides, how to lead group rides, where we talked about some of these points as well. So definitely check that episode out if you're interested in group ride dynamics and how to lead one and some more group-specific etiquette. Yes. Here's one tip that I don't think we included in that podcast, and it is uh, don't cell phone and ride. Like, I don't know why this even needs to be said, but apparently it does um, based on a recent group ride I was on. And it's just like, you know, is your wife giving birth? It's like, all right, 
you can answer the phone and respond to that text. Otherwise, it's ride time. Like, you know, return that call later. Like, it just doesn't matter that much. Yeah, this happened to me just last night. We were, you know, riding with the group and one person was missing. And we said, hey, what, what happened to him? And somebody said, oh, he's on his phone. And then it was just like, okay, let's go. <laughs> That's, you know, like if it had been, oh, he's got a flat tire or like he's lost, you know, it would have been, okay, let's go back and help him or find him. But as soon as somebody said he was on the phone, that was it. So, yeah. Kind of along those lines, at least in terms of electronic devices, is don't wear headphones on group rides. Kind of ridiculous that this one needs to be said as well. But I ride with a couple people that, um, We'll wear headphones on group rides, and I just don't get it. For one, it's antisocial. If you don't want to be part of the group, why are you coming on the group ride? And then two, well, probably really the the main point is it's just it's not safe, right? If you can't hear the people around you and you can't can't hear them saying, "Hey, you need to go right," like that's just it, again, it just goes back to being respectful and being respectful of other people's time out on the trail. Like Greg said about the uh, the phone call, you know, if everyone's having to wait for you to answer. Your phone, that's, uh, you're saying that your time is more valuable than everyone else's. Yeah, along those lines of being respectful of others, Aaron, you should be self sufficient on group rides too, right? Absolutely. Again, something we kind of hammer home all the time here, but you need to bring your own repair items, you need to bring your own tools, because if you frequently show up without a tube and you end up bumming from somebody in the group, you're going to be that guy. You're going to be that guy that has to ride alone because everyone's sick of lending you stuff. So I know everyone needs help from time to time, but just don't make a habit of it. And if you do need to borrow something, I mean, I'm guilty of this on some of my rides, be sure to pay the person back, you know, however you can. If it's a tube, make sure you get a tube back to that person as soon as you possibly can. Don't forget about it and, you know, just steal a tube, basically, you know, give it back to them. I end up loaning a light to people a lot of times. You know, you're on a night ride and somebody's battery dies and they need a light. I've got an extra one. And nine times out of 10, people remember at the end of the ride, they take it off their bike, give it back to me. But, and that's cool. But if it's, if somebody forgets, then that makes me pretty mad. Okay. What about getting to the trailhead? It seems like there are some potential pitfalls here in terms of social etiquette. How can you be a good passenger when you're getting a ride with somebody to the trailhead, Aaron? Well, for one, you want to be on time. So if you're carpooling, you need to be at whatever the carpool meetup place is on time. Don't uh, don't make people wait for you. Obviously, offer to chip in for gas. You need to make the pickup or drop off as easy as possible and offer to drive if that's a possibility. You know, maybe you don't have a car, that's not realistic, but if you do, you should, uh, you should alternate. Don't make somebody be stuck driving all the time. In my group, it's usually if you drive, then the passenger buys your lunch after the ride is typically how we work it out, and that seems to work pretty well. So, yeah, just be, just be conscientious of that. Another thing you want to just – you don't want to dirty your friend's car. So if you go ride and you're all muddy, you know, bring a change of clothes, bring a towel or something to sit on, and don't leave any tra- – this is one that <laughs> drives me crazy. That was just uh, – cleaning out my truck the other day and I found a bunch of trash in my back seat from some people who I won't name on this podcast. <laughs> uh, I found like a chicken biscuit wrapper and some other stuff that, um, that was stashed in the back seat. So that's a bad look. Don't do that. So 
I think there's also a little bit of etiquette if you're the driver too. Like, I guess I didn't, I don't know, when you're in high school, like five bucks for gas seems like a lot of money. But on the receiving end of like, if you're, sorry, not the receiving end, but rather if you're the driver, like it, it irks me a little bit when drivers are too much like, oh, you need to chip in $7.50 because we drove X number of miles. Like, it's like, all right, I was going to drive there anyway, you know? So I'm, there's always ways to reciprocate. Like, maybe you switch off driving, but, you know, being too much of a stickler about who paid the most gas money and who drove how many miles can be sort of just as much of a jerky situation. So don't do that either. Yeah. Again, it comes down to communication. If you can establish that before the ride, you know, you're making your plans and saying, all right, you're going to drive and say up front, like, Hey, if you drive, I'll pay for the gas or I'll buy you lunch or whatever. Make sure that everybody knows what the expectation is ahead of time. Yeah. And keep it all in perspective, right? I mean, if you're just driving to a trailhead, that's 30 minutes away, maybe $5 is appropriate. But if you take a road trip to Moab and you get home and you're like, here's 20 bucks, like that's not really going to cut it either, right? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So now that we're at the trailhead, let's talk about some trailhead etiquette. One of the things that I don't like seeing is when people spread out their gear all over the parking lot and take up a bunch of parking spaces with their stuff. And I'm guilty of this myself too. You know, you get to the trailhead, you're all excited. You start unloading bikes and stuff. And before you know it, you know, you're like blocking lanes of traffic and stuff like that. And yeah, you don't want to be that guy. Right, Greg? Yeah, I would say my trailhead tip is be aware of cars driving around. For a lot of us, especially for mainly mountain bikers, we might not be super used to dealing with traffic or being aware of traffic. And even though let's say we're at a trailhead and we're all riders. If you like say shoot out between two cars in the middle of the parking lot, you're messing with your rear shock. You're not looking where you're going. Uh, you could cause an accident. You could get hit by a car and it might not be that driver's fault, you know? So just be aware of the traffic and the other people around you. I actually had a really not good example, but a, a very key example of this when I was driving around near Crested Butte recently. And I didn't even get out for a ride, but this trailhead is, on this one trail system is really weird because there's a parking lot and then you have to ride about like a half a mile down the road to access the trail. And it's pretty popular. So it just means there's like a lot of bike traffic, but it's still like a through road, even if it's a dirt road, you know? So we're just driving around and we come up to the trailhead and there's like, trail runner who's in the middle of the road like bending over tying their shoes and there's riders going the other way and like it was super sketch and then we pass those guys and then there's a old lady just riding down the center of the road you know two-lane dirt road uh, with no hands on the handlebars wearing toe clips so i'm not quite sure what the heck she was doing, just sort of cruising along at about two miles an hour with no hands on there. I'm like, I don't want to go past this person. Like I could kill somebody, you know, it's just like, you just got to be aware of the people around you. So, yeah. I mean, that's, it seems like we keep saying the same thing over and over, but yeah, think about the people around you and put yourself in their shoes and think, would you like someone to do that to you? Yeah. It's the golden rule. Yeah. A couple of things with the trailhead, I would say if there's a bunch of other people there, um, that you are not your riding group maybe don't bump your music really loud because that could very well not be appreciated and just get ready in a timely manner at the trailhead there's nothing worse than everyone standing around ready to ride for 10-15 minutes while 
you're still pumping up your tires and, you know, adding your noon tablets to your water bottles and getting something out of the back of your truck. Like it, that's, that's just, uh, it gets old real quick too. So get ready in a timely manner and try to be organized before you get to the trailhead can help with a lot of that. Yeah. And on the back end of the ride, if you're at a particularly busy trailhead, don't just hang out if people are waiting for your parking space or, you know, other people are rolling up. Cause again, that's, that's not being courteous. All right. What about, what about making negative comments about people's gear? What's that about, Greg? This is a bit of a, a pet peeve of mine, mainly just because I don't ever see this like ending well when somebody makes an unsolicited remark about somebody's setup. Like it just never turns out well. Like the best case scenario is, you know, you come off as sort of ignorant and maybe that person had the thing there for a very specific reason. They really like their setup and, and maybe you don't know what that specific item is supposed to do. Um, but otherwise it can often come off as condescending or worth or worse rather. And, uh, even if let's say, you know, that something should be better. Like it just, I don't know. I just haven't ever seen it worked out very well. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong though. I, I think talking shit about people's gear is probably poor form as in saying, you know, what, why are you wearing that Jersey? What's up with that helmet? But I'm guilty of critiquing people's particular bike setups, maybe too often, but there's just certain things I see on someone's bike and I just can't help myself. Typically, this is with less experienced riders, but you know, some of these things I'm referring to are incorrect saddle height, a weird saddle angle if it's pointing too far down or too far up, kind of stuff like that. A lot of times it's just because they don't know any better. Riders, if they're especially if they're newer to the sport, when they go and buy a bike, they just ride it how it came from the shop without bothering to adjust anything and thinking if that's the best setup. I mean, probably the most common example of this I have is people incorrectly setting up their brakes where they have their shifters and their brakes slid all the way out to the end of the handlebars where they're actually touching the grips. And that that doesn't give you the proper setup for good braking. All modern disc brakes you should be able to use with one finger and when your levers are positioned all the way outward, you, you're going to have to either use, if you're using one finger, then your finger is going to be too close to the master cylinder and you're not getting the proper leverage on your brakes. Or if you're trying to use one finger, your hand's going to be all the way at the end of the grip. And then that's just weird. Also, again, it depends on who the rider is and what your relationship is with them. But yeah, maybe if it's a new rider, you can kind of teach them some things and improve their setup. That's going to make make them uh, a better, more confident rider. But again, if it's someone who's been riding a long time and they know what they're doing, I kind of sometimes just have to bite my tongue because I know that while it may seem wrong to me, they may have a very good reason or at least a reason they think is good (laughs) that I disagree with for why they've set their bike up a particular way. Yeah, I think one takeaway is that you need to just focus on how you're delivering that feedback. You know, you may be really well intentioned, uh, and that's, that's good. That's great if you're trying to help other people out, but just think about how you might be coming across when you say that. Try to find a helpful way to say it rather than, uh, something that's gonna ruin somebody's day. Okay. So we've kind of talked about being punctual. That should go without saying if you're riding with a group, you should be on time and not make other people wait for you. 
And also along those same lines, uh, I think it's really important to make realistic plans when you're planning out a ride. Can you talk a little bit about that, Aaron? Absolutely. That's something we covered in depth in the group ride podcast. But just keep in mind that the more people you add to the group, the longer it's going to take to accomplish anything. And that's rolling out of the parking lot. That's making all the turns. It's getting back to the car. It's going to get something to eat afterwards. Everything is going to take longer. So a general rule is the more people coming, the shorter the ride should be. Absolutely. We also have been talking a lot about communication. So communicating plans will save you a lot of heartache and hassle if you're able to do that. Communicate your plans, communicate your intentions on the trail, just over communicate if you're in doubt. Another thing that mountain bikers should consider is the impact that they're making on the trails themselves. We've talked about responsible trail riding, at least I think so, in the podcast. Uh, we've certainly shared a number of articles along those lines. Uh, but what are some of the ways that we can be respectful of the trail and avoid damaging our trail resources? So probably the number one thing to do is to avoid doing anything that's going to erode or leave an impact on the trail. I mean, that's the essential takeaway. And there are a few things that make a lot of impact on the trail. One is uh, unnecessary skidding or locking up the rear brake and sliding your tire around. Whether or not skidding does a significant amount of damage, you know, can depend on the trail you're on, the trail surface, there's a lot of things, but generally it's not useful for a heck of a lot of anything anyways. Uh, lots of times people think skidding is going to stop them faster. That's actually not the case. Like you want to be just before your rear tire brakes traction. You want to be applying as much brake as possible while keeping those tires in contact with the ground. Uh, I'm sure we've talked about that more in some other podcast episode. You know, that's just not a great thing to do. Another thing to avoid is to avoid riding wet trails. So if you see your tire leaving an imprint on the trail and again, use your judgment. Like if you're making like a inch deep rut, like that's obvious. All right. It's way too wet to be riding. But if you're leaving like a slight tread mark, like once every now and then in like a shady corner, you know, maybe not such a big deal. But if you're leaving an impact on the trail and you're leaving a track behind you, it's generally too wet and you shouldn't be out riding because um, that could impact the trails and make uh, a big deal out of something that could easily dry up and be ready to ride the next day. But then once you start adding these things together, you know, riding wet trails, skidding on a wet trail, you know, you can quickly accelerate all those things. So just be smart out there. And again, check out our dedicated episode on that topic. Right. And the reason that you do this stuff too, it's not because, you know, there's a rule about it or, you know, that's, that's the law at the trail system that you're riding. You know, again, it's really comes back to being considerate of others. The reason we don't do it is because it ruins the trail for the person who's going to be riding after you. So again, it, if you look at it in those terms of you're being selfish because you want to ride when you want to ride and you're not thinking about the people that are going to ride after you, then it becomes pretty obvious what you should do in that situation. What about trash on the trail? That's another pet peeve of a number of people, I'm guessing. Oh, yeah. Obviously, pack it in, pack it out. If you bring something into the woods with you, you should take it with you, back out with you. And if you see trash, if you happen to be stopped somewhere, if you're taking a break and you see some trash on the ground, pick that up too. You know, do your part to to keep the woods clean. 
I think in general, mountain bikers are pretty good about keeping the trails free of trash. The one exception to this is maybe in race situations where some people seem to think it's okay that since they're racing, um, it's no big deal if they throw their goo wrappers and cliff bar wrappers on the ground. But that's lame. Don't do that. That's super lame. And kind of one more thing along the trail aspect is, I know we've talked about this before. I can't remember which episode in particular it was, but if you want to clear small limbs and stuff that have fallen down on the trail, or if you even are in a big group and there's a tree and you can kind of move it out of the way, definitely do that. That that helps out, you know, with the, with a little bit of trail maintenance, but don't start moving technical features or rocks and, and stuff like there. that's meant to be an actual feature of the trail just because you can't ride it. Cause that is very poor etiquette. Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, one final thought with etiquette and the trails that you're using is that you don't want to always be a taker. Like you want to give something back to your trails. So all these trails, generally speaking, all these trails, you know, there's a lot of volunteer effort that goes into them. Sometimes they're built by hand by volunteers from the ground up or volunteers maintain them. There's a lot of work that goes into keeping these trails rideable. So give something back. That could be as simple as just paying your annual dues for your local trail club. It could be showing up to a work day and helping out. It could be clearing down branches as you go along instead of just riding over them and continuing down the trail. Sometimes these things can be small, but if every rider gave a little bit and just you know put in a little bit of time to the trails they rode, you know it would make it easier for everybody. So just give back a touch. Yeah, definitely take, think of yourself as like a, an owner, you know, take ownership of your local trails or any trail that you're riding. Um, and don't look at it as, you know, you being a customer where somebody owes you and, you know, somebody's there to pick up after you, you know, you're an owner. We're all owners of our trails and we need to take care of them whenever we can. So one of the things that, bothers me during rides or one of the things that I try to be conscious of myself is noise pollution. So obviously I, I don't, I don't ever play music on speakers, although people are, some people choose to do that. Even with smartphones and stuff too, people will play it just on their smartphone speaker and they think, oh, it's not that loud, but you know, you can hear that stuff from a long way away and it's definitely bothers other people. So just don't do it. And the same thing goes for uh, like excessive yelling or hooting or hollering. I don't know. I don't know what you want to call it, but a lot of us are guilty of this, you know, especially when we're riding with a group. But just be considerate of people who are not in your group and they might not want to hear about every little bump or, you know, cool jump that you land or whatever you encounter along the trail. What if the kids are stoked, Jeff? What then? I know it was. I was about to say it. You made me bring it up. So, yeah, <laughs> you know, maybe you're watching videos on YouTube of people riding trails and you hear them yelling and, and making a lot of noise. But that doesn't mean don't, it's... Don't do that. Yeah, it doesn't mean it's a good thing to do. Uh, just like skidding, right? Like we see skidding in a lot of videos and it looks really cool, but uh, that that's not something that everyday people should be doing. Uh, same with yelling and, you know, really making a, a show out of your ride. Um, that's not, not really what most of us are there to do. So don't do it. Hopefully we're not coming off as puritanical in this. I know, maybe. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'll it's hard to... Quakerish. Yes. 
I thought that myself. I was like, this is turning into a, and here are all of our pet peeves. So don't do these things episode. But I think there are still nuggets, hopefully, that will come out of this and we're communicating them in a good way. Yeah. I think, I think part of the problem is we're, we're saying a lot of don't do this and don't do that versus the positive side of here's how you should act when you're on the trailer. Hopefully people will take it that way. All right. We're getting near the end here. We talked a little bit about being self-reliant on the trail, um, and there that cuts a couple of different ways, right? Either you guys want to talk about that? Yeah, I can jump in here. So, yeah, we recently did a backcountry survival podcast, so there's a lot more in there about what it takes to be self-reliant. Um, but again, this is being prepared for the trail, having the things you need out there. A factor of this can be to know when to ask for help. You know, if something's going wrong, like don't wait until it's gone really wrong to ask for help. You know, let's say you crash and you injure yourself. Like I'm all for not complaining on the trail, but if you got hurt, like, and I'm riding with you, like, let me know and we'll figure out how to take care of that and like manage that situation as best as possible. So there's a bit of a give and take here uh, in this thing. Yeah, definitely. I feel like a lot of people too, maybe new riders are embarrassed to ask for help. So they, they get in a situation, they get a flat tire, for example, and they realize they don't have a tube. And instead of asking somebody for help, you know, they're just sitting there on the side of the trail or walking out. Uh, don't be afraid to ask people. Mountain bikers are really nice people, despite what maybe this podcast sounds like. It, <laughs> it sounds like we're all really judgy and, you know, we're, we're going to be upset with you because you didn't follow the rules of the podcast. No, I mean, that's, that's the whole idea here, right? Is to understand the soft skills about reading people and situations on the trail and off the trail and knowing what to do and that we're all people and we're all there to help each other. Um, and hopefully we, we can be courteous to one another in the meantime. Definitely. I, I always like to ask people if I see them stopped on the side of the trail, just a quick, do you have everything you need? So, because, I mean, like Jeff said, there's there are times where you do forget something at home, right? Maybe you forgot a tube for this ride, or maybe the tube you have has been in your pack so long that a hole is rubbed in it, and you, while you did bring a tube with you, now you're kind of screwed because your tube won't work, and you don't have a patch kit, or maybe you left your pump, or whatever it is. Mountain bikers are super friendly in general and more than willing to help when they can. I just had an incident on on Sunday riding at Rope Mill here in Atlanta where there was a rider and he was pulled off to the side of the trail. And I said, you have everything you need? And he said, I'll need a pump in about 10 minutes. And he was right at the start of this loop. And I said, well, I'll see you in 10 minutes or less. And rode around the loop, came back, and he was just getting his tire mounted back on. And I lent him my pump and he was able to get back to his truck and finish his ride. So yeah, people are more than willing to help. Um, so don't be afraid to ask for it if you do need it. Just don't uh, always rely on others. That's where you get into trouble. Yeah. Well, is your is your question that you call out to people, is that purposely limiting? You ask them if they have everything, you don't ask them if they need help, huh? What if, what if they're like, yeah, I got a tube and a pump. I have no idea how to change a tire. <laughs> well, then they are lacking the knowledge. So I would say that they don't have everything they need. Okay. So knowledge falls into that. It does. Okay. Knowledge falls into everything. It's very encompassing word. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I personally, I ask uh, if people need any help, but yeah, it means the same thing, I reckon. Yeah. 
that could be another sort of etiquette item we didn't have in our outline, but is making sure people know where they're going, especially if like you're riding your home trail system and your trail system happens to be really complicated. Like if I roll up to an intersection and I see people staring at sign or like looking at their phones, trying to figure out where to go, like I'll often just be like, Hey, you guys need help getting anywhere? Or do you know where you're going? And, uh, you know, that can be really helpful to somebody. So sort of being proactive like that is good too. Good example of this is actually, uh, Bull Mountain, like the signage up there has gotten a little bit better. But uh, when I rode there, <laughs> now not much. But when I rode there, like there, the maps were horrible. The signs didn't match the maps, and the the layout was not intuitive. And I lived in the area, so I had it all memorized. But so many people didn't know where they're going, and uh, I'm sure they appreciated getting a, a point in the right direction. Yeah, that, that's that's still the case. I can tell you the uh, the maps have gotten better, but the Trail signs there usually have numbers on them, and the numbers don't actually correspond to anything that's on any map. So it's, <laughs> and then there's no trail names. The maps have trail names on them, but then those names aren't on the signs in the woods. So it is, it's still a confusing place to ride. Yeah, I'm surprised nobody's fixed that. I keep telling myself I'm going to like make some signs. Get a label get my, maker. And <laughs> yeah, I'm going to get my wood router out and I'm oh. going to make a fancy sign that's got trail names on it for that specific area. Okay, what about etiquette for when you're riding with slower people? So this could be kids, it could be people who aren't as fit as you, or it could even be new riders. What's the best way to handle that? All right, so I'm going to spin this in the the positive light. But your goal generally when you're taking these people out is to help them have a good time and enjoy mountain biking so you can get to spend more time with them uh, out in the woods. So the best way to go about it is just to take it easy. Uh, wait for them at corners, trying to phrase this positively, but don't sprint ahead all the time. So just uh, dial in your pace to wherever your rider um, that you're riding with is at and so that they don't feel like they have to constantly be chasing you. And just enjoy being out in the woods and away from your desk. That's generally what I do. Even if I'm waiting, I'm like, all right, it's beautiful out here. The weather is gorgeous. Might take some pictures, you know, and just sort of enjoy that time in the woods. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I would also say keep, uh, it goes back to being realistic. You need to keep your expectations in check when you're riding with a, a new uh, or novice or someone that's out of shape. You just want to be sure you don't have uh, a you don't want them to bite off more than they can chew and they're going to have, uh, end up having a miserable time and hate riding and probably hate you. So <laughs> that's, that's a bad way to end up on the ride. So don't do that either. Yeah. I was just going to say just for these kind of rides, you need to be thinking about the other people on the ride and not yourself. So go into it's it. It's not about you. It's not about you. It's not about you getting in a good workout or showing off your skills or any of that. It's about bringing somebody out who's not as experienced as you and helping them have a good time. So make it about them. All right. Finally, this is an area that people have a number of people surprisingly have asked us to talk about. And that is finding time for mountain biking when you have other responsibilities, other relationships in your life. So you've got a, a family, you've got kids or a spouse at home and you want to figure out how to get your rides in while not upsetting your other relationships. So do you guys have any tips for doing that? The easiest way is just not to get married or have kids in the first place. <laughs> and then you can just 
Right. You can do whatever you want. Exactly. No, I'm sorry. That's probably horrible <laughs> advice um, for some people. You just have to be, again, it goes back to communication, right? I think that's another big thing we've we've hit on in this episode, apart from just not being a jerk. Talk it out, you know? But I think... I think you just need to be, you need to be considerate of your, your non-riding partner. We've all made a mistake, this particular mistake at one point or another where we say we're going to be back at a certain time and then we don't make it back by that time and people get upset, which they should because you said you were going to be back. But you, you know, you just need to be honest. Like if it's a big ride and you know you're going to be gone all day, you need to let the other person know so that they can make their own plans. They don't need to be sitting around waiting for you to get back all day long and then you don't show up, like, I'd be pissed too. And they also need to be honest with yourself. You know if you head out on that ride, you know how long it's going to take. You know things could go wrong, so you need to build in a buffer. So if you know there's not a realistic way you're going to be home by 5, don't say you're going to be home by 5. And if you have to be home at 5, don't go on that ride. Go ride closer to home, go do a shorter ride, go do something else. And just just keep everybody happy. Yeah, and along those lines too, build in time. You know, if you if you know you're gonna want to go get dinner afterward or you know eat lunch after the ride, like tell your significant other that ahead of time as well. Don't you know call them up? Hey, we just finished the ride. We're gonna go grab something to eat. That's not cool. Again, like oh great, I was just making dinner, but I guess I'll stop now. (laughs) My pro tip is don't. Tell your partner when you're going to be back. Just be like, I'm going to be gone. <laughs> but that takes some work to build up to it. I, part of me wonders if these questions generally come from people who they've been married a long time and then they start riding and all of a sudden they've got like this hobby where uh, it's like taking them away from their spouse and their spouse is not used to that. Uh, whereas, you know, I've been riding longer than I've known my wife. So there's always sort of this expectation. So maybe it's a, a process of, getting used to that and sort of feeling it out, but like not jumping in um, both feet first. Another tip that I would throw in is uh, generally like my big ride day is Saturday and I don't necessarily say when I'm going to be back. But the thing I try to do is like, I don't plan two big rides on both Saturday and Sunday, like rarely. Um, so generally I ride one day and spend the other day with my wife and try not to have any expectations about you know, what's going to happen or what we're going to do. So, you know, it's just be smart about it. Yeah. What I've found is, you know, all of us go through different seasons in our lives, especially when uh, you talk about getting married and then you have kids, you have young kids and your kids get older. Um, so that's going to take some adjustment to perhaps your writing schedule, your frequency of writing. I've just been noticing, you know, I've got two young kids And, you know, I talk to other people that are kind of in the same stage of life, other moms and dads, and a lot of them say, oh, yeah, I used to mountain bike, you know, back in college or when I first was married. But, you know, I just I just don't do it anymore. I haven't done it in 10 years because the kids ruin that. Yeah, the kids. I I mean, it honestly, it takes a lot of time. Like if you're driving to a trailhead and then you want to get in a good ride and then driving home, you know, it's half a day to all day, uh, which is a big commitment if you've got a family and you've got responsibilities And so, you know, really take a look in the mirror and say, like, can I do that? Like, is that fair to the other people in my life? And, 
if it's not, then find get creative. So what I've done is right now with with two young kids, I do um, mostly night rides. So wait till the kids are asleep or about to go to sleep, and then go out and ride for a few hours. And then the other thing is trying to ride closer to home. So that travel time, man, that kills me every time, especially here in Atlanta where you got to drive 45 minutes just to get, you know, out of the city and to where some of the good trails are. So, um, again, find different stuff to ride and just remember that it's, it's just a season. Like your kids are going to get older and pretty soon they're going to be dragging you and saying, Hey, let's, let's drive up to the mountains today and go for a big ride. And so you'll be back out there, but in the meantime, yeah, be cool and think of, Think of others. Don't be selfish with your time, for sure. That's right. Another thing that uh, Jeff does, I didn't mention, he does a lot of running as well. So, you know, maybe that's another thing you can do is find different physical activities that um, don't take so much time out of your day or consider getting a trainer, like a stationary trainer. Those are definitely not fun to ride, mm. but it'll still allow you to get a workout in if, if time is becoming more of a factor. Yeah. And one thing people, another thing people will try to do is to get their spouse or significant other into writing. They think, okay, well, this is, this is a problem. I want to go and he or she doesn't want to go. So what if I get them into mountain biking? And there are success stories out there. It is possible. But again, make sure your motivations are not selfish, that it's not just like, oh, well, if, if he or she comes with me, then I can do this more and I can have more fun. Uh, really consider is it is it because you really want them to enjoy it you want you know they you could see that they would get some benefit out of it or is it is it about you and if it's about you then you're probably not doing it for the right reasons one final thing on kids and and uh copying out of rides is like don't use your kids as an excuse like if you don't want to ride like that's okay I get so tired of talking to somebody, be like, hey, you want to ride? It's like, now I've got kids, I can't go ride. How do you know it's an excuse, Greg? I'm going to have to stop you right there. <laughs> like, that's, that's a little bit, a little bit judgy. But I'll, I'll look at like, well, maybe I am probably, I'm, I'm pretty judgy. So, you know, there's that. But, uh, but there's, you know, if they're making time to do something else, like, um, spend all Sunday afternoon watching a football game, or maybe they're doing a different sport, or maybe like you built a house, like I've seen people do that. And it's like, you know, you can uh, prioritize whatever it is you want to prioritize, maybe. I think shelter's higher on Maslow's hierarchy of needs than mountain biking. And kids. I would argue that kids are also more important, but I guess not everybody would agree with that. <laughs> Greg, Greg's anti-kid. <laughs> you can always park your van down by the river. Yeah. Well, cool. This has been a fun discussion. Hopefully we got it back on track here at the end and weren't quite as preachy and judgy as we were in the beginning. As always, if you're enjoying the Single Tracks podcast, especially if you are, we'd love it if you would rate us in the place where you get your podcasts. And also, if you want to learn more about these soft skills and trail etiquette for mountain biking, uh, definitely look us up on singletracks.com. That's all we've got this week. We'll talk to you again next week. Peace.